There's a problem in the facilities industry and it's getting worse every day. The perception that companies are disposable and a career as a technician or facilities expert is a last resort is becoming more and more common. Well, we're here to open your eyes to the truth behind the trades. Welcome to the Perception Evolution Project by WCE. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Perception Evolution Project by WCE. Today we're joined by a very, very, very special guest, Jim Silvera, uh, 45 plus years. Yeah, that's right. Applause, applause. Can we get that up? <laughs> um, 45 plus years in the industry. Is that right, Jim? That's right. Yeah, yep. yeah, 45 Close. plus years. And yeah. uh, Jim actually worked with WCE here uh, for the last three or four years, uh, just retired uh, at the end of January. Um, but uh, back again at the WCE headquarters, the WCE facility, to uh, talk with us today about uh, basically the entire industry, different sectors in the industry. Uh, comparing how it used to be to how it is today because nobody knows better than Jim being <laughs> in it and involved with it for uh, many, many, many years. <laughs> it's been said that those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. <laughs> That's right. So um, before we get into any of that, why don't you uh, just introduce yourself, tell us a, a little bit about your history, your travels and what you've done uh, uh, in, in the industry? Well, that's an interesting story. I, I'm going to start with the story that I always tell people how I got into this industry. I was working as a residential service tech, washers, dryers, household refrigerators, dishwashers, and I had a service call one day um, at, at this gentleman's home and I was repairing his dishwasher, and, and he said to me when I was all done, would you like a job? And I went, mm, I have a job. And he went, no, I mean a job with me. So I went, well, what do you do? He says, my company repairs restaurant equipment. And I went, I don't know how to do that. He says, yes, you do. I says, honestly, I don't. He said, well, you just did. He says, you fix my dishwasher, and it works great. So he says, think of it this way, Jim. My dishwasher is the same as your dishwasher, except bigger. And I went, oh, I guess I could do that. So long story short, I went to work for Wally John Koskis, rest in peace, Wally, uh, for Fast in Philadelphia. And... Uh, spent many years with Wally and Keith and um, learned uh, an awful lot from them about the industry and uh, went, went from there and uh, decided that I didn't want to be in one place. I, I'm, I'm a pioneer stock and I didn't want to put roots anywhere. So I, I took all the all the learning and all the education that I got from the, in the industry, put it in my pocket and started want to see the country. Ended up in California, worked GCS, um, worked with uh, oh heck several several large companies. 
I don't want to uh, mention too many company names because, uh, you know, this is going live. But uh, I, every company that I, I was with, I learned a little bit more. And I decided that now that I'm so smart, I'm going to start my own business. And that's when the real learning started. Because no matter what you think you know, you don't know anything when you enter a business. You know, and fixing something is not the final thing. You know, uh, it, it, was, it was everything that went with it that I never realized. And I, I decided that a one-man band was never going to get anywhere in this, in this world. Uh, you only had so many hours in a day, and I just decided that it just wasn't for me, and uh, went went back to work until I retired, and uh, I, I retired when I contracted cancer, and after my treatment, I was too weak to go back to work, so I retired. Hated it so much that I couldn't work that I went back, and ended up here at Windy City, and that's that's a story that uh, I don't know if uh, we should get into oh, right we're, now. We're going to tell that story. Are we going to tell I, that I, story? I think I think everybody uh, out there would be intrigued to to understand that story. So let let me start it off, and then you can you can finish with your perception of how how okay. it happened. Okay. So. <clears throat> uh, at the time, I think it was uh, 2014, I want to say, 2014, um, Windy City, we were still small. I think we had, including me and my dad, probably uh, five employees, something like that. Um, so we ended up uh, partnering with a, a company out of California called Mateco, and uh, uh, they wanted to hire us to uh, perform PMs at the Safeways here in Phoenix, which you know, we thought was a, a wonderful plan, um, but we didn't have somebody to perform the PMs because obviously, you know, they needed to make money too, and uh, we were negotiating the rates, and you know, uh, we just couldn't afford to take one of our techs off the street for as much time it was going to take to perform all of these PMs the way that they wanted done. So, um, initially, they had said, "Well, then." Uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna bring somebody in to uh, to perform the PMs and they'll be a, a main co-employee and then you can have the reactive service. And naturally, I told them to piss off because then there was absolutely nothing at that point in it for us. And you know, let's be honest, we we still have to make a living. We are in business, um, you know. And so after I said that, they they realized, okay, well maybe this isn't gonna work. So why don't we give you, uh, meaning me. Uh, the number of the guy that we were looking at that uh, we found his resume uh, retired technician and uh, why don't you just you want to just bring him in and uh, uh, and and talk to him um, so that's when we, uh, we we called up Jim here and uh, set up an appointment he came in and uh, the very first thing that he said to me I'll never forget this the very first thing that Jim ever said to me was you just want to to make sure I didn't have an oxygen tank hooked to me before you hired me. Is that right? Immediately I knew that he was going to be hired, obviously, at that point. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then the rest is, is pretty much history. But let's, let's get Jim's perspective on the, uh, on the situation. <laughs> okay. This, this is a funny story. My wife and I 
were having lunch in a Taco Bell. And my phone rang. And I looked at it, and it said, Los Angeles, California. And, and at first, I was just going to click it off because I didn't want to talk to anybody in Los Angeles because I thought that it was GCS wanting me to come back. And uh, I didn't want to do that. So I answered it anyway. And this guy at the other end says, is this Jim Silvera? And I went, yeah. I says, how did you get my number? And he says, a friend of yours over here in, in Los Angeles said that you were retired and you might like to talk to me. And I went, what's this about? And, and so he said, this is, and I even forget his name right now. He says, uh, from, from uh, Mainco in Los Angeles, we do service for all the Safeways in several states. And uh, so he proceeded to tell me what he was looking for and asked if I was interested. And I said, I don't know, I might be. I said, but, uh, you know, we'll have to talk more. He says, well, I'm coming to Phoenix in two days. And he says, how about if we get together? And I went, sure, that'd be great. So we, we made arrangements to meet in two days when he came to Phoenix. And that was it. I hung up, told my wife, well, I might be going back to work. And, of course, she was ecstatic because <laughs> I was driving her nuts. So anyway, uh, the very next day, I got another call from him. And, and he said, hey, listen, a um, couple of things are going to change here. He says, we're still interested in you, but it's sort of like you've been traded <laughs> to another company. And I went, another company he says yeah he says uh um they said they know they know you very well and i went who and he said windy city and i said i never heard of them actually let me interject for just a second uh that is accurate we thought we knew you turns out it was a different gym uh, so <laughs> that's where that came from there you go uh so anyway i went really and he goes yeah he says uh you're not going to be working for Menko, you're going to be working for Windy City if you choose to join up with them. And I went, hmm, well, that's weird. Okay, I'll do it. So anyway, I, I decided to come in, and uh, I walked in the building, walked in Josh's office, met Josh and his dad, Joel, and immediately we hit it off. You know, it was just a matter of, this is cool. I'm going to do it anyway. You know, it's like... I mean, they, they, they got me for slave labor wages anyway, so I, I, wasn't looking, I wasn't looking to make money. I just wanted to do something. And uh, so it was a very interesting deal, very weird deal, uh, but very interesting. I think it lasted all of four months. Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, you know, months. but... Uh, Obviously, at that point, we, we, we saw Jim's value and, uh, you know, basically told him, you're not allowed to leave ever <laughs> <laughs> and like i said slave labor you know so um, it's a, it was part of the trade you know yeah. it was, it, you were under contract yeah and then i found out that arizona had a minimum wage uh law and uh <laughs> yeah so that that is that's the story of how uh, how jim came to be a part of uh windy city and like i had said before uh, you know, when he came in, it was a team of, uh, uh, I think, five guys with him, maybe made six. And that, that might even be generous at the time. Uh, I don't really remember. But uh, the point of that is a lot of what 
WCE is today can be traced directly back to the influence that Jim actually had on this company. Um, you know, my dad and I, we were technicians, we weren't businessmen, and Jim had just mentioned, uh, you know, when he started his business that uh, he learned so much uh, already being in this industry for so long, working with so many different companies, having his own. Uh, he was just a wealth of knowledge coming in. I mean, you know, before he came, we were still driving uh, beat up old pickup trucks, wearing uh, uh, ripped up collared shirts and jeans, you know. Uh, one of the first things he said to us was, why the fuck don't you have uniforms? <laughs> so, yep. you know, it, it evolved really from there. Um, but uh, uh, that's that's the story of how, how Jim came to be such a, uh, a big part of this company and why he's sitting here today, uh, you know, to provide value for everybody here listening. Um, so, Jim, before we get into the questioning, is there anything uh, else that you want to add to add some perspective to our audience? For our audience, I should say. Well, all, all I can say is... Uh, Wind, Windy City evolved. Uh, Windy City made a, a change four years ago that impacted the company forever. And uh, not, not just uh, getting, getting vehicles and uniforms. It was an image thing. And it was uh, the fact that um, Windy City was probably one of the last companies in America to enter uh, diversified service. You know, they, they were they were a hundred percent hot side repair. Did not have any plans, to my knowledge at the time, of getting into refrigeration and air conditioning and adding adding it to their their bag of of tools and when they made the decision to do that it it forever changed windy city and i i would say this that um again there's no longer a chance for a company like windy city to ever come into existence um windy city started with uh joel uh, josh's dad uh deciding to enter his own business and coming out knocking on doors handing out flyers introducing himself uh working 23 and a half hours a day trying to build a business that can't happen anymore um, it was the right place the right time the planets were all in 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 order and everything worked for joel it could never and I repeat, never happen again because the way businesses are today, they're being eaten up by conglomerates. And there is no more one-man bands. And, the, and, and if there is, it's a fleeting thing. Usually they, they'll do it for a year, realize that they never made any money. You know, they just paid themselves and never made any money. And... Um, actually lost money because once again knowing how to fix a combi oven or knowing how to fix a steamer or a fryer is a lot different than knowing how to do a bottom line knowing how to do cost accounting knowing if you should even 
get up in the morning. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's there's more to this business, and and it's getting worse because um, with the conglomerates buying buying up companies, and and becoming huge, um, customers now tend to want to go with them. They want to go with the power of of huge versus the loyalty and and the caring of the little guy. Um, and the little guy really can't compete. You know, it's uh, it's it's a matter of, you know, we're, you're never going to be able to charge what you need to charge to stay in business. So small companies have to sell to them because they're, it's, it's just impossible. But um, uh, so anyway, that's, that's what I wanted to add at this time. I'm sure we'll, we'll dwell on that a little later in this podcast uh, because I have other, other things that are still on my mind that I, I still want to share with, with Josh and the rest of the world, you know? Yeah. Um, I, if, if you I have, see an opportunity yeah. to, to uh, you know, slip any any of those yeah. into the conversation at any time, that you yeah. know, just just go ahead and do it. So yeah. let's 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 start off. Uh, you know, I I want to know what you see as the biggest difference of. Uh, let's start with something easy, okay? Uh, you've got today. Um, all these different pieces of, of restaurant equipment. I mean, uh, from high to low, from C to C, you know, so many different styles, so many different brands, so many different parts, some proprietary, most proprietary now. Um, you, you've got the uh, the companies out there that uh, sell parts now to the end user, Parts Town and uh, Heritage and all of these different places, you know, that people can literally go online and, and Google what part they need and, uh, and get it. So how does today that, you know, what's happening now with that differ from when you first broke into the, uh, the business? What's, what's the differences there? As far as parts? Yeah. Okay. That that's a very good question, and uh, it's it's one of the things that that immediately popped in into my mind. Um, let's say forty years ago, thirty-five years ago, uh, a guy, whether he worked for ABC Mechanical or if he worked for Mickey's Midnight Service, okay, he would be able to call up, let's say, Globe Globe Parts. Um, uh, Globe was owned by uh, by a guy who used to be the national service manager of Market Forge, and his name was Arthur Zetlin. He left as the national service manager, started his own little parts company down in Florida, and it was wonderful dealing with a guy like him, because you could call and say, "I need." I need something, and it and it does this. It, it turns left, and 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 takes two steps forwards and flips around, and it makes something work. But I don't know what it is. Can you tell me? And he would, right off the top of his head. That that doesn't happen today. Now you call up and you get this this pool of of people who maybe last week used to work in a um, at a Home Depot or you know at a McDonald's. They, they only know, do you know the part number? Yep. And if you don't, 
they can't help you. Well, absolutely. And and not only that, but even sometimes now when you call the manufacturer for parts, depending on who their proprietary distributor is. It's the same thing. They, exactly. Yes. They, they even forward you right over to the, uh, you know, that person like Partstown, for example, right. is the distributor of uh, authorized distributor for a lot of the manufacturers out there. You try to call the manufacturer for tech support. They forward you right over to Partstown. And, you know, and I'll, I'll, a lot of times the, 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 the voice on the other end of the phone Let's just call it what it is. They're they're more salesmen and customer service oriented mm -hmm. than industry oriented. Right. And ICS was the same thing. Back in the day, you could call up and talk to anybody. It was always one of a half a dozen people, and you knew them all. You knew all about them, their name, their kids, their wife. And and they could tell you, listen, I don't have that, that Cleveland uh, WX42 wizard, you know, uh, but... You can, you can use this, and it'll work. You know, they used to help technicians. Yes. Um, there, used to be, there used to be that avenue, and now there isn't. Now it's, if you're lucky to get somebody at the factory, and like Josh just said, it's really no better when you're talking to them. Uh, so technicians are on their own. You know, luckily here at WCE, um, they, they're, they're fortunate enough to have one of the best parts guys in the country. And uh, that was another thing that uh, when Windy City was making their transformation into the, the other world, um, they, they made that decision that, that, yes, you know what, he's going to be expensive, but we can't afford not to have him. Yep. You know, and there has been moves that have been made, and, and Josh is seeing it now. Um, five years ago, it would have been, oh, no, I, I can't do that. That's too risky. Well, now, five years later, it's, it's risky not to make that move. You yeah. have to. You have to keep money moving. There's no such thing as, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, Put this away in the bank for a rainy day. You you have to keep moving. It's like this business is a shark, and if the business does not keep moving forward, it dies. Um, many companies have died because of uh, the risk, you know, and not taking the risk. Not taking the risk. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. So let me ask you. Uh, uh, let me ask you this. You know, as you've seen the industry trend from what you just said, you know, uh, uh, people and manufacturers and, and companies being as helpful as they once were to as uh, unhelpful as they can be now. Uh, like you said, you're lucky if you get somebody, you know, with enough knowledge to, <laughs> to actually give you that information. How do you see that affecting uh, the future of the uh, of the industry? For WCE or for, for the industry? For the industry. Well, I, I, see, I see the industry changing in that, like I mentioned before, there'll never be a chance for a company like WCE to come into existence the way they did again. Um, I, I see the industry itself uh, is, is in danger of being extinct. Uh, the, the conglomerates are buying up, and the conglomerates only care about one thing, and that's the bottom line. They don't care about their employees. They don't, they don't know the employee's wife's and kid's name. They don't know their birthdays. Uh, it's, it's, becoming, it's becoming 
impossible for uh, the techs and the management to have a relationship. Yes. Now I, I, I happen to agree a hundred percent. So let's let's uh, that's a perfect segue to to talk about that. Um, through your travels, through uh, all the companies that you've been a part of, uh, even your own company and WCE, you know, uh, I'm sure that the relationship between technicians uh, or employees of any kind uh, with management through the years has evolved and maybe not for the better. Uh, so can you explain, you know, what you've seen uh, in kind of the timeline of, of where and how you started to see this shift and, and how that might affect, uh, again, the, the industry in general? Are we talking about the employees now, Josh, or are we talking about the industry? No, the, the employees in the industry. Okay. The employees' relationship with management okay. in the industry. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I think that the, the relationship with employees and management um, has always been precarious because whether this was 30 years ago or whether it's today, it was all about money. Um, the industry 30 years ago had nothing to offer a technician other than a job. And they, they, had, they had no benefits. There was no, no hospitalization. There, there was barely paid days off. And um, so it was all about the management and the owners making the money and the techs just getting their crumbs and a lot of good people left the industry and you know it, it, it continues today and the biggest problem that the industry faces and this is a warning if anybody's listening training there is absolutely no avenue of recruitment, you know, other than steal from another service company. Steal is a harsh word. Let's let's just say pilfer, you know, uh, and that's what happens if if a guy is unhappy with his boss uh, on on Tuesday. If you find him at the uh, at the parts house or at a Wendy's or something Wednesday, and and you offer him a job for a quarter more he'll go right you know and that's that's what's happening and the people even if they're not fully trained or fully qualified become very valuable because there is no minor league system in our industry okay um electricians plumbers they all have training you know they, they there's training places that they can get um uh, get brought into this industry uh hvac and refrigeration somewhat has has a um has a pool that that is still coming it's not a very good pool but it's something but the overall food service equipment technician there is no there, there's no training for them. There's, yeah. there, there's no university, no technical courses. Um, you can only hope that you have a kid smart enough and wanting to get his hands dirty. Because in our industry, as everybody who knows about this industry, you have to be 
so many people. You have to be a plumber. You have to be an electrician. You have to be a pipe fitter. You have to be an engineer. You have to be an inventor. You know, there's. you just can't say, I'm going to train you how to um, fix fryers. Yeah. You yeah, know? Absolutely. So do you think that... Uh, we all know and we've all heard it uh, in this industry. I'm sure anybody who's watching has heard it. But the uh, uh, technicians are being considered a dying breed. Uh, you know, the um, how am I trying to word this? You know, it just it, it almost seems like the newest generation and even some of the, the uh, previous generations, they just don't, whatever it is, they, they just don't grow up to be service techs. That's, that's a great Great point you're bringing up. Okay, let's let's go back again. Let's go back to the dinosaur era of mine. Um, high schools. We'll we'll start there. High schools had courses that were called industrial arts, and um, they got the reputation of the only people who took these courses in high school were the losers. You know that the, the guys who. Um, got in trouble or just were lazy, didn't care about anything, they put them in industrial arts courses. Well, today's schools don't even offer an industrial arts course. You know, all the kids today, they want to be stockbrokers or they want to be doing something in an office wearing a tie and, and having clean hands. They don't want, even auto mechanics, they're not caring about going into auto right you know so we're not the only industry in trouble um anybody who has to work with their hands there's no more of those people and um and what do you think do you think it's a do you do you think it's a status thing or do you think it's a a money thing or just a a lack of of knowledge of of what it means because you know i've talked on here before about how uh, a good service tech can make six figures a year you know and uh, uh but but who knows that josh well right of course exactly so, nobody social media is going to change that but it's not going to be overnight you know social media has even wowed me you know and um you know it's it's an invaluable tool and the new the new generation watches YouTube and watches Facebook and you know um, so if the word can get out um, that coupled with the fact that there's too many stockbrokers too many college graduates can't find work yep. um, you know it's like that old joke how do you, how do you get um, a college graduate off your porch well you pay for the pizza <laughs> you know and it's like um, there's a lot of smart people a lot of very highly intelligent people who could make six figures working in the in the restaurant equipment or let's say the service industry mm -hmm. um, but but again there has to be there has to be a national program there has to be yeah. a world program um, to get these people trained and uh, social media is is probably the best way of doing it um, at least I, to get the ball rolling yes. right and and i would say that a company like wce who is uh involved in social media and has the leadership that wce does who can see ahead i i think if they start 
taking the bull by the horns and start a training program, whether it's internet-based or if it's going to be an actual training. Cefesa, mm-hmm. Cefesa, you know what? <sighs> Don't get me started on Cefesa, I guess, because Cefesa um, has not done their job in, in the past 40 years. They have not done their job. They have been more of a social thing for, for business owners, and now they're, they're realizing that they're in trouble without the industry going forward. They're starting to have training at their training facility back east, mm-hmm. but it's only training for Cefesa members to send their people to, and um, it's not a national training program they need more training facilities throughout the country not one right you know and how do we do this well i I think we need to get uh we we need to get uh, universities and we need to get uh, community colleges more into teaching it and i think it's about education too i think that uh would you agree that nobody even knows this job exists unless you have somebody in your family in the trades you know specifically a uh, a, a kitchen equipment technician commercial right you know it's it's not something that you grow up and you think to yourself oh man that's definitely something i could do right they just don't know they don't know the opportunity they don't know uh you know anything about it and and you know shame on uh on on the school systems or whatever whoever's you know whoever it falls on it's just it's so unknown but so lucrative josh years ago when a service tech went in to do a service call there used to be a handful of restaurant employees who would say how do you get into your job? How, how, there, there was that. But uh, I, I don't know how to say this without it, make it making it sound racial or something, but, but now restaurants are filled with foreigners and, and people who are doing jobs that, that Americans don't want to do anymore. And they're not interested in what you do. They don't even know you're there. You know, um, so there's there's no no chance of someone who works in kitchens and and uses convection ovens and steamers wanting to know how can I get a job with you guys? You know, and it mm-hmm. used to be there was a there was an endless supply of service techs, endless, and and now nobody wants to know what you do. You know, all they know is. You get dirty. You get, you know, it's hot in kitchens. Um, I don't want to do that kind of stuff. But they just don't realize that, um, like like you have mentioned, the the ability to make money is there. Mm-hmm. And that brings up another point. Pay. Um, you know, pay has always been a real bad issue. You know, you go to your boss and you go... I need a raise, and you go, yeah, well, so do I, and that's too bad. But nowadays, if, if a guy who you value comes to you and says, I need a raise, you have to. You have to, okay. because someone will. Yeah. 
Absolutely, you yeah. know, and um, so you have to take care Supply of your people. Supply and demand. Right. You have to take care of your people. And again, that's just a Band-Aid for today. And I think we're, we're talking about what do we do for next, next week, next month. And, uh, and again, the industry can only support so much cost. And uh, restaurant owners, restaurant managers, um, they're looking at their bottom line. And um, for a, a company who wants to keep their, their best techs and recruit more good techs, they have to pay them. But how do you do that? You know, there, there is a cost. There's overhead. There's, there's cost. And pretty soon, the cost keeps going up. It has to be put on the the industry. It, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to raise our rates to $150 an hour, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, I'll find somebody else. And until the guy that they go to because he was cheaper, he raises his rates because he can't find people either. It's a vicious circle. And cost keeps going up. So do you think it's possible that this industry could see a bubble? A bubble? Oh, yeah. I think it's very possible. Um, again, you, you asked about 40 years ago to today. And um, one of the things that is going on as far as cost is even a manufacturer now. Um, 40 years ago, Cleveland would, would build um, a steamer that was simple. You know, it had a gas valve. It had a water float. I mean, a mechanical water float, mm-hmm. okay? And, um, and it had a gas valve, and uh, it, everything was simple. Rates were $20, $25 an hour for labor. Uh, parts were, um, you know, like a hundredth of what it is yeah. today. And so... Everybody was making money. You know, the service companies were making money. The restaurants were making money. Um, But then the manufacturers decided we had to build a better, a better item, you know? And uh, so they started getting into, well, we're going to have printed circuit boards. We're going to have, we're going to have this, we're going to have that. And what happened is they, they got too technical. So then you didn't need a technician with, with uh, busted knuckles and, and dirty hands. You needed a guy with uh, a white shirt and tie to come in with a briefcase and laptop. And uh, it, it got to be crazy. And so then, of course, the cost went up right there. They're the ones who started this when they... But we're doing this to save money on energy. I don't see the difference. I don't see a lot of energy savings here right. from 40 years ago, you know, yeah. because there's no way to judge it because everything went up, gas, electric. Um, so how do you say that you, you built this better mousetrap and it's still expensive? So um, anyway, I'm, I'm off on this tangent here, but as far as technicians, uh, the industry is in trouble. And they don't even know it yet. A lot of companies are realizing that there's there's trouble, but they don't know what to do about it. But uh, 
I I know because many talks with Josh over the past four years, we we both know that things have to change. And I am for proactive, being proactive and and attacking now because, uh, you know, education is going to be the key. And I think that's the nail on the head right there is, is education in all forms, you know, teaching, teaching people how to do this uh, and, and why, mm-hmm. why to do this, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that's, that's the missing piece that, that I see that could snowball the rest of it is informing people why this should be a viable possibility, even opportunity mm-hmm. for them to have a life they've really always dreamed. I mean, it's, you know, you don't think glamour when you think service technician, you don't, mm-hmm. but it's a good, honest career and there are a lot of techs out there right now that love what they do. Mm-hmm. They they love it. I mean, they're they're born and bred through and through, right. you know. But unfortunately, if it's not seen that way when kids are in high school, starting you know in high school, um, they're never going to develop any any sort of an interest or, like we said, even an understanding that something like this even exists. Right. And again, another problem with service techs, I don't care how good they are. And we have, here at Windy City, we have a lot of really good guys working for us. Uh, They're very competent. However, they're they're missing something, and they refuse to acknowledge that they're missing something. And that's the ability to work a job. You know, they, they... they continue to have blinders, and they go in. If somebody calls, uh, my living, my my dining room is too warm. Uh, my steamer takes too long to cook. Uh, the tech will go in, and he will deal with the issue that he's been asked to look at. But he he refuses to look further. Mm-hmm. He refuses to talk. And when I refuse, well, I say refuse, not that he's being uh, resistant to doing his job. It's that they don't feel comfortable. And, and again, while you're there and you have charged a customer a trip charge to get to their location, you should give that customer, you should give that customer as much as much for that dollar as as i just wanted you to check it oh i already reset it okay sorry yeah so uh, i'm saying that you you have to give the customer his money's worth absolutely absolutely agree and above and beyond that you have to give the customer what they don't know they need right you have a lot of these a lot of these customers now you know, they're, they're run off-site. They're run by facility managers who already have way too much on their plate. Mm-hmm. You know, you are their eyes and ears. The tech is their eyes and ears. So uh, that's one of the most important values that you instilled in Windy City, you know, four years ago is that, you know, what are you doing going in, fixing what they called for, and leaving? It's your responsibility. It's our responsibility as a service company to bring this to the attention of the customer and let them know, hey, 
This isn't what you called us out for, but while I was working on this, I noticed that you have a motor that's making a racket over here, and it could go out any day. And with your luck, it's going to be on a Friday. Yeah. You know, so that I, there's so, so much importance on that uh, on that topic, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and that's something, like I said, you introduced to us and really opened our eyes to. All right. Going back 40 years ago up until this very moment, there's another thing. That has never changed, and um, I want to bring it up today. Um, I had told you when we scheduled this podcast that there was something that's on my mind that I wanted to bring up to you and to this industry. Um, One of the things that's never changed is quoting. You know, companies for 40 years have struggled with quotes and estimates, and uh, in 2011, I found this out by being retired and being on the internet, and, and I spend hours every day reading. And in 2011, the University of Minnesota Engineering Department had, had a, a study done, and they, they asked a classroom full of students to estimate how long it would take to do a thesis, okay? And um, so they turned in their estimates. The entire class, it was like 75 engineering students. They turned it in, and um, the average was 27 hours of the average of all the students who estimated how long it would take to do a thesis. And some of them, some of them were uh, like at 20 hours. Some of them were like 40 hours, and it all averaged up, right? And so the actual figure was 59 hours. And it's not just engineering students. It's not just a thesis, but the art of making a quote or doing an estimate. It is the human nature always when you're asked to give an estimate, you always give an estimate based on what you think your abilities are. And it always it always turns out that what you think your abilities are, you're not even close. Um, there's a, a thesis estimate compared to an HVAC estimate, for example. You have to take into consideration a fitting that breaks. You have to take into consideration a fitting that's been on for 12 years and you can't get it off. And and all of this time has to be accounted for. And there there are usually less than 20% of all estimates that were even close that you actually got paid for your time. Yeah. Am I wrong? No, yeah, even, not at all. You know, you're the one who does invoices and stuff right yep. now, you know? I see it all the time. And, and yeah. you know, I mean, you've been in here, you know, you see us use quotes as a, as a form of communication, yeah. um, which means that, you know, we, we do a lot more quotes than your average service company because we don't want to have that tunnel vision that we just talked about. We want to be able to say, hey, you know, as I was working on this, we noticed this, here's a quote to fix it. Do, with, do what you want with the quote, you know, yeah. but yeah. now you know mm-hmm. that this is an issue so we we use quotes for that aspect but it never ever fails i would say at least 
at least 60, 65% of the quotes that we put out at once they're performed and done are underbid. Yes. So I, I guess that there has to be a time where all companies go, you know what? We suck at this, <laughs> you, you know, and, and, you know, to quote a job just to get it, to keep people busy is one thing, but it's hard to keep it going. Um, you know, there comes a time where when a guy needs new uniforms or a new truck or, or raise, you have to be able to have the funds to produce this money. And if you're, if you're losing on, on 60 or 70% of your bids, you can't do that. Right. So I think there comes a time where you need, as a, as, a, as a company or a manager, you have to go, I have to add 25 or 30% to this quote. And I'll bet you if you did that for even a month, you're going to realize that um, I didn't lose as much. You know, as we're talking right now, you know, you know how I work. You've known mm -hmm. how I work for the yeah. last four years. I, I, I uh, my gears are always turning. So, as we're talking right now, what would you think if uh, uh, instead of a quote, you know, we all know how estimates work. We all know how uh, uh, what proposals look like. But what if it was different? What if instead of proposing a specific amount uh, for uh, for a quote or or you know a recommendation, let's call it. What if instead of proposing a specific amount, you said, I'm going to need a $750 NTE for this job. I'm going to need a $500 NTE for this job, a $2,000, $4,000, whatever it is. And for those of you that don't know, NTE stands for not to exceed. So basically a limit, you know. So you can take that 20 to 30% or 35% into account when you're issuing these NTEs and bill accordingly give yourself a cushion here's here's what it boils down to and this is just what i'm thinking right now is like we always say uh um under promise and over deliver you know so if you under promise by saying this bid could cost up to a thousand dollars you know i'm sorry but then you go out you do the job you find out that you can actually make your margins whatever your margins are set at you can make your margins by only charging 750 instead of that entire thousand you know who's happy the customers happy we're happy you know we made money we they're happy because they didn't use the entire nte you know so that could be a viable option going forward something uh, or some variation of that like i said that was just off the top of my head so yeah. okay yeah you know what you don't lose you you don't lose by trying it right um and and again forward thinking is the answer here and it isn't like if you realize something isn't working and I guess insanity is uh, the definition of is, is insanity is uh, doing the same things over and over and expecting it to change yeah. you, you know so I would say yes uh, that's that's a, a, a great start um, and then the other thing is and it was another one of the things that's always been on my mind, and I may have brought it up to you at one time in the past four years, I know I brought up a lot of stuff, <laughs> but um, this industry, until somebody makes a move and tries this and fails or succeeds, we'll never know. Flat rate. Without flat rate, 
we are going to top out on service charges, mm-hmm. okay? Customers can only absorb so many raises yep. in, in service fees, okay? Flat rate is the answer, and, and in the residential HVAC field, it works. And one of the cheapest customers, again, I'm being facetious here, one of the cheapest customers in the world is a residential customer. Um, and it works for them. They don't want to know. Um, McDonald's and Wendy's, they work flat rate. If you notice, you go in and you, you see on there cheeseburger, fries, and a drink, $6. They don't tell you the what? $6 is, you know, 28 cents for the, for, the, for the bun and lettuce and then 42 cents for the patty, and then it, it isn't broken down. Mm-hmm. Well, the service industry should be the same way. It should be flat rate because... So how do you, uh, how would you, you know, uh, work that? How have you seen it done? Uh, I mean, when you say flat rate, is there uh, like, okay, this is our flat rate for any diagnosis. This is a flat rate for a diagnosis of uh, a convection oven or uh, an RTU or, uh, you know, a a walk-in cooler. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that, is that how you would see it done? Or would there be like a, a flat rate for a diagnosis of anything? Anything. Anything. Okay. okay. Just like uh, a, a service fee. Okay. Um, in other words, with flat rate, you get paid for everything you do. Um, a tech shows up and he says, this needs a phenopulator and a foo-foo valve. Okay. Um, so how much will that be? Well, he opens up his flat rate book. Uh, it's going to be $672.50 plus tax. And so... Uh, the customer says, okay, I need to think about it. No problem. There is a diagnostic fee. Okay? It's going to be $100 for the diagnostic fee. And if you choose to do the job within 72 hours, it's waived. Mm-hmm. Or it's, you know. Right. So you always get... Your money. You get paid for everything. There's a lot of time that techs spend on jobs that they can't get paid for. Yeah. No, trust me. So <laughs> you're still paying the tech, but yeah. they're, they're not recovering any money. So somebody in this industry is going to have to make that move. Uh, it's been, the, the industry has been resistant to flat rate. Totally resistant. Why do you suppose that is? Um, perception, I guess. Nobody wants to be the first to do something. But again, somebody was the first to do it in residential heating and cooling. And now it's it's 75% of companies in America are on flat rate, residential. And it's, it's the answer to the bubble uh, because we are fast approaching. You know, there are service companies now that are over $100 an hour. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the companies who aren't at $100 an hour are dreaming. Yeah. They, they, there's no way. There's no way that they're making a profit. There's no way they're going to stay in business for another five years. If a company is making $100 an hour right now, your competitor, and you're making 60 who do you think is losing here? You know? Yeah. Um, the $100 an hour guy is going to be able to afford the techs. The $60 an hour 
company is not. Um, so when, once again, the $60 an hour service company, if he's flat rate, he can charge $150 an hour mm-hmm. because it's all in a package. And do you think that it's more accepted because it's uh, people know what they're getting ahead of time? you think that's what it boils down to from yeah. a customer Re- Residential you're talking about, right? Either one. Well, yeah, but can't say either one because it hasn't been done in a commercial. Okay. Right. So, so in other words, would it, would it work in a commercial? It is my feeling, yes, it would, because then they can budget right? They, they know that this job, no matter, is going to be this. Mm-hmm. Again, nobody ever complains to the Wendy's manager about that package price. Nobody. It's true. You know, a, a meal in a restaurant, sirloin steak, baked potato and a salad, $25. Nobody ever says, but how much did you charge to cook it? <laughs> you know, right. how much is your profit on that meat? Nobody does that. Right. You see, um, and, and it's time for the service industry. Car repair is flat rate. Yeah. They go buy a Narder book. To put that fuel pump in, $299.50. So why is it that the food equipment service industry is hesitant to make this change, hmm? y- you know, think about it. It's. Do you have any guesses? Hmm? Do you have any guesses as to why? Because I don't want to be the first one and okay. to fail. Okay. I don't want the customer to think that ah, I don't know. I don't trust this, and I'm going to go to check twenty four. They charge by the hour. Um, but but again, poor choice of of of. Uh, you know, because they're they're one of the higher ones, but yeah, but right, still, of course. but wow. still, it has to be a flat rate. And don't forget, flat rate. If a guy asks for a raise and and you need, you need to give a tech a raise. It's easier to add three dollars to that flat rate than it is to change the price of the part, change the price of the the hourly rate, change the, the price of the uh, the trip charge, mm-hmm. and trip charges in in my opinion see i'm going back 40 years we didn't have trip charges right today we do Mm -hmm. um and people people look at all of these things there's more more things for them to pick apart today than there was 40 years ago yeah um and so you know with the cost of doing business today your insurance rates go up uh the um the cost of goods goes up um you know it's how do you you can only absorb so much right you know um and and you can only explain so much too you know and and, you know when a customer and and i I know this obviously from experience so do you you know it's harder and harder to explain and justify why you need to make your money and then you're under constant judgment mm. if you're honest and somebody says well why should you get to make that much mm-hmm. or you know whatever it may be but you know it's it, I, I think that I like a lot what you're saying mm-hmm. I think that the flat rates could eliminate questions and I think the flat rates could be a, a, a win-win solution for uh, for everyone changes like the win there wasn't as many fast food um, 
places 40 years ago. There wasn't as many um, corporate chains as, as there is today. And corporate chains change people who are in charge of, of facilities maintenance like socks. A facilities maintenance people change jobs um, for many reasons, just like technicians do. And um, so it's hard to have a solid relationship. All you can do is do your very best and communicate. Mm. And Thank I know you. Windy City yes. is all about communication. Yeah. And um, so you stand a much better chance than a conglomerate uh, because of the local communication. Mm-hmm. Um, Windy City, obviously, at this time, is not involved in national accounts. And, um, you know, it's it's all local. Yeah. Um, national, we, we do service national chains, but just only in Phoenix. Yeah, exactly. We don't have that right. uh, reach. Right. And um, I'm, I'm hoping in, in my lifetime that I do see Windy City become regional and national. Um, but, but right now, it's like Josh, you and I have talked about this many times. We got to be the best on our street and then in our city and then in the valley. We have to be the best right now yeah. before we start thinning out our talent pool. And, and, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, yeah, getting getting off of the flat rate thing now because uh, I I honestly believe that uh, flat rate is is the answer, and um, but getting on to something else. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, uh, cust- let's let's continue on with customer relationships. Okay. Um, so you know one of the things that's always stuck with me that my dad has uh, has told me is uh, you know how he wants. Uh, customers to view us as like uh, uh, like when you find a good doctor, you know you you stick with them, you know you you form a relationship, uh, and you did you said uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. There is no, it seems like I shouldn't say there is no, but it seems like it is trending in the opposite direction of relationships. Um, it is basically where can I get the best price? Uh, where can I get the quickest turnaround? And what's what's interesting to me, what's very interesting to me, because this is an obvious point that you make. Um, I've seen it. You've seen it. Everybody in, in Windy City has seen it uh, with the customer relationships dwindling down. But the want for a relationship is still there. And I learned that, you know, when we went to uh, RIFMA and we got to spend time with all of these different facility managers for uh, all the big national chains, they, they all long for the relationship, but it doesn't seem like it's there. And maybe, maybe that's because of, of what you just said, you know, the fact that uh, they do change career paths, or not career paths, but jobs mm-hmm. so often, you know, even if they retain a relationship, then that relationship doesn't then transfer over to the restaurant that they were with previous or the facility that they were with previously. So the relationship, one relationship is severed, no matter what you, what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess then, you know, the question becomes, how do you maintain a relationship with a facility manager and with an organization, or is it even possible? Hmm. 
there's a lot of variables in relationship with facilities people uh, you, you have to you have to can take into consideration the the chain of command in in the restaurant you know the the, mm-hmm. the assistant manager the manager the general manager the regional manager um, they all have a say in in and if if a technician goes and uh, and and if he does something that to an assistant manager or manager is not good mm-hmm. if if he if he makes a comment to an employee, if he takes a picture of, of an employee, um, it can ruin the relationship that you have with the facilities maintenance people because they'll be overruled. Um, you know, a, a facilities maintenance guy could love you, but if, uh, if a technician does something that rubs the manager the wrong way and that manager puts his foot down and says, I don't want that company in my door anymore. So do you think it's possible that there's a disconnect between, uh, even within an organization, uh, a facility, a disconnect between the the facilities management side and the operations side, kind of like there's a a disconnect between management and technicians in, in the opposite industry? Yes. And I, and I think that the relationship, the biggest relationship, is technician to manager, technician to chef. And if you have the right technicians, the rest of the relationship only evolve, involves operations and how much mm-hmm. and billing and, and, and dispatching as far as doing somebody a favor. Um, Uh, but really, relationships are built from the service truck. That's and, a and, really good perspective. Um, but yeah, you know, relationships between management and their management is one thing, and it's an important part. But the biggest, biggest thing, the most important thing is how are we perceived? And, you know, did, did we do the job and this goes back to keep keep coming back to flat rate and this this goes back to the operation level it it could make things a lot easier all the way around if people didn't have to worry about how long were you there how much was a thermocouple how much was that right Right. You know, so. Absolutely, I, th- I I think you you're you're spot on. Right. Yeah. So uh, I'm glad you used that uh, that term. Uh, it boils down to how we're perceived. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because obviously that's what this entire podcast is about is the perceptions in the in the service industry, uh, more specifically uh, facility management and uh, customers uh, and users uh, perceiving service companies. Uh, service vendors a certain way so just to wrap up uh, uh, you know the the content of this actual podcast um, you know before I ask you some some other fun questions is what do you think is the biggest misperception in the eyes of a an end user uh, toward a service company, what do you think is is most often misperceived by our customers about us? Not us specifically, but 
you know, not WC specifically, but our industry? Um, <laughs> uh, it's a hard one. I know. It, 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 I it know. is a very hard one. But um, I, I think that uh, trust, uh, trust is, is the biggest issue. And if, if a technician uh, is wasting time, and even if he's not charging for that time, if the customer sees him wasting time, it equates to, I don't think that that bill was right because, you know, he spent a half hour on the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, this, this is, this is the, 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 the biggest issue, in, in my opinion, is communication. You know, techs need to explain to the manager, I had to call the factory, I was put on hold, and I didn't charge you for this or something. There has to be communication, not just leave and, and have people think yeah. that, that they... And, and again, flat rate takes all that away. It doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't matter if there was seven guys on that job. It doesn't matter if... One guy was sleeping in a truck for a couple hours. The rate was never going to change. Yeah. <laughs> no, and that, that that's that's a great great answer, uh, I think, because that that's something we see quite a bit is the uh, is, is the trust, and it's not it's not a a, a mistrust or a distrust. Uh, toward anybody specifically intentionally, I don't think. I think it's a lack of, uh, it's it's a fear of the unknown is what it is, you know. And uh, and I think that's why I like your response and your answer with uh, improve the communication and you improve the trust because uh, the more people know and the more people understand, the less that they'll fear, the less apprehensive that they'll be, and the more they'll be able to. St- step back look at the situation and say okay i genuinely understand and agree with how this is built or uh, you know how the technician or the company handled this this circumstance or, or situation so uh i think that's probably one of the best answers that i've heard because uh, I, I try to ask everybody that mm-hmm. you know that uh, that comes on this podcast um so so that's great so uh Moving on from that, uh, that that was just absolutely awesome. I mentioned before that you had just retired in January, the end of January. Um, so why don't you tell us what what have you been up to since you retired? Since you decided to all my life, I have had a dream about exploring and gold mining, prospecting, and it's finally come true. Um, I have been, in the past couple of months, I have been uh, collecting everything that I need to be a prospector. And um, there's lots of gold in them thar hills, <laughs> and uh, I, I intend to spend the rest of my life uh, in nature and uh, doing some prospecting and mining and exploring. And uh, I will be making some uh, 
some YouTube videos of my adventures from my friends and family, and uh, um, I look forward to it. Anybody who wants to know what I'm up to, let me know, and I'll send you a link and show you. But uh, uh, this is something that, like I said, it's been in me. And if I have any regrets, it's that I waited this long. Yeah. You know, I, I should have been out years ago when I had more energy and strength. And, but this beats sitting in a recliner getting fat. You know? <laughs> so, so anyway, yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing. Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, I, for one, am glad you didn't do it sooner because who knows if you would have made your way to uh, Windy City had you have done that. Uh, but uh, anyway, Jim, I, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, I'm sure our audience will appreciate your time as well. Ladies and gentlemen, the man, the myth, the legend, Jim Silvera. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Josh. I really appreciate it. This has it. been fun. All right. Take care. To hear more truths, make sure to follow the podcast and subscribe on YouTube and all the popular social platforms. If you're like me and prefer it all in one spot, make sure to sign up for our newsletter by the link below. If there's anything at all you want me to talk about, send me a message, comment, email, find a way to let me know. Be sure to like and share to be part of the solution and stay tuned to see the industry change one perception at a time.